Welcome to UUCSW Reflections, a podcast by the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. We're glad you're here. Welcome to UUCSW Reflections. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast where we reflect on this month's sermons and answer questions from the congregation. If you'd like to submit a question, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org or drop it in the suggestion box in the sanctuary. Be sure to say which sermon your question is about. Don't worry, we won't share the names or identifying information about any question askers on this podcast. October's theme was belonging, so in this episode, we will be discussing the two sermons, belonging to ourselves and belonging to each other, both of which can be found in this podcast feed. Hi. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm glad to be doing this. Yeah, I'm super excited to get this started. I know we've been talking about it for a while, so this is cool. My first question is, how are you finding your first few months with the congregation? (laughs) Well, so I started in August, so Mm -hmm. it's been a couple months. It's been really wonderful. I'm sort of surprised at how welcoming and warm and kind everyone has been. It's been a joy. We're off to the races. We're starting a podcast. We're doing all kinds of fun things. Yeah, it's exciting. I know there's a lot of fun energy going around the congregation. Yes, as evidenced by our high-tech sermon situation. Absolutely. We're (laughs) a congregation for the 21st century. Indeed. Where do you find inspiration for your sermons? That's a good question. And it always is a little bit of a wandering journey. So it helps that we're using monthly themes. And so that's where each month there's a theme for October was belonging. And then it really is this sort of process of wandering with an open mind and sort of wondering what occurs to me as being helpful or related or an interesting story to tell to demonstrate something But I think like all creative processes, it's sort of an amorphous thing that you can't really control. And sometimes it's surprising where you end up and then you just have to roll with it. So I'm finding my way, but it's it's an enjoyable thing to do. How long does it take you to write them? Oh, gosh. It totally depends. Anywhere between like five and 12 hours. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's a big time commitment. Yes. Yep. It was a significant portion of my job. So yes, it's good that, that I like sense. writing. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. With regards to the first sermon, mm-hmm. Belonging to Ourselves, you talked a lot about those Olympics where the gold and bronze medalist raised black power fists right. and Peter Norman was the third man in the photo. Right. So it struck me that most of what you were trying to get across was about allyship. Mm-hmm. He was a white man And his contributions were, I think, a really good example of allyship. I'm curious to hear what aspects of his actions are something that we can look at when we're trying to be good allies. Right. So I think part of what so drew me to that story was the fact that, I mean, that image is so iconic, but how many people know who Peter Norman is, right? He really is the person who doesn't get named or spoken about or recognized and the fact that the Australian government didn't recognize him in any way or remove his bans until after he died Mm -hmm. is just kind of remarkable to me. And I think he is, he's a really good example of this idea of standing alone, particularly because he didn't co-opt the protest and Mm -hmm. he didn't try and pretend that he was one of the black athletes. He didn't raise a black power fist And he never went back on his choice. And that is a really powerful thing because it cost him everything. 
you know, you mentioned that a lot of the coverage, like the real story has been about those two men who raised their fist, which, you know, I think is as it should be. It is as it should be. That's appropriate. And that's a huge part of what Peter Norman was contributing to by not stepping over their contributions. Right. So I think that is something that we can take lessons from when we're trying to be allies is to make sure the right people have the spotlight. Exactly. And in that case, it wasn't Peter Norman. Right. Right. You mentioned that your criteria for good sermon writing, Mm -hmm. I mean, quote unquote, good, rather than aiming for something good. Right is you show up with your whole self and tell the truth. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you arrived at that criteria list? From getting caught up in the hamster wheel of trying to write something good, because that gets so contrived that you can never actually write something good. Yeah. And realizing that the process of sermon writing is really about getting to like an interior enough place inside myself that I know what my own voice is saying Mm. and then being able to share that because when we show up with our whole selves, other people can tell. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, when someone is really showing up as themselves fully, the aim of sermon writing is to do that, is to show up with my whole self and tell the truth about it and tell the truth about what I'm thinking about in terms of whatever the subject is at hand. Yeah. Yeah. Those two criteria really resonated with me thinking about vulnerability in interpersonal relationships, right. especially right. difficult conversations. Right, right, right. Because sermon writing is about a relationship, right? right. So it's it's my relationship with the congregation. And so that is made stronger when I show up as my whole self and I'm honest and I tell the truth and then I invite it back. Because when, when, we, when we lead with that example, then other people feel the encouragement to do it themselves. Yeah. And I think that can be incredibly powerful. It can also be exhausting. Um, so, I mean, or exhilarating. Or exhilarating. Well, it can just be a lot. It's both. Right. Like both. the more that you show up with your whole self, the more right. your whole self is exposed, right. vulnerable, involved. Right. right. And that turns the dial up on right. exhilaration, connection. Right. For some people, exhaustion, you know, yeah, I mean, it just yeah. turns things up. Is it ever exhausting to you to be really vulnerable to a group of people as big as a congregation? So the the general rule is that you preach from your scars, not your wounds. Hmm. So if I'm, especially if I'm telling a personal story, it's never something where I'm actively in pain about it mm. because that would be sort of a violation of boundaries yeah. because it, in my role as minister, the congregation isn't supposed to take care of me or be concerned about my emotional well-being. So if you're sort of bleeding out on the pulpit, you're causing a problem. And so being vulnerable in a way that keeps good relational boundaries is really important where I'm showing up with my whole self but I'm not asking the congregation to be my therapist or be my best friend because mm-hmm. that's not the relationship that we have. And the relationship that we do have is really valuable. It doesn't feel like a live wire in the way that like confessing your deepest, darkest secrets to your therapist could feel like right, a live li- right. right, exactly. wire. That's a different kind of thing. And so boundaries make that safe exactly. and make, it, make that difference. Right, yeah. right. Because if you have a minister who's crossing that boundary and sharing things that they haven't processed and haven't taken care of, I think that actually is damaging to their relationship with the community. And so mm-hmm. it so it is this question of when I'm sharing, if it's for my own sake, that's a problem. So right. I'm always okay. sharing for the sake of the congregation and not for my own sake. And for me, that's kind of the line of belonging to myself and showing up with my whole self, but in a way 
that is respectful and aware of the actual boundaries that exist. Right. And that's part of, that leads into the next sermon about being in community. Right. Those boundaries are crucial in so many ways. Right. Because the boundary makes the connection possible. So if you cross the boundary, like if if I cross the boundary in such a way that I stop being the minister and start being someone for people to take care of, then that relationship breaks down, Mm. which is not the goal, right? Like that's not good vulnerability. That's just like throwing up on everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That makes perfect sense. Definitely. Yeah. So I wanted to ask another question about boundaries. Two of the principles of Mm -hmm. the anatomy of trust that you mentioned are boundaries and generosity. Mm -hmm. And you made the very important caveat that if you are feeling uncomfortable, that's one thing. But if you are in a situation where your emotional or physical safety is in jeopardy, it may absolutely be the right and necessary thing to separate from person, community, congregation, whatever it may be. I know that there can be a gray area. You know, it's not always super clear. Is this discomfort telling me that I need to address something awkward? I need to hold someone accountable for something in this community? Or is this discomfort telling me that I'm in danger? I'm curious how you would counsel someone trying to make that distinction for themselves. Right. So that's a really good question because you're right. It can be a really gray area. And I think especially there can be both the desire to get out of discomfort by calling it feeling unsafe. And when we actually feel unsafe, it can become incredibly hard to listen to ourselves because we're so flooded with feeling. In my counseling people about this sort of question of sorting through this, my role as I see it, is to help them listen to themselves and sort of draw out what it is intuitively that they know. Is it really that they're just uncomfortable and they don't want to deal with that? Or is there a question, in fact, of feeling unsafe? That can be a really hard conversation and it can be a really hard thing to figure out, especially if people aren't used to asserting that feeling unsafe matters, like especially with women or kids, that can Mm -hmm. be really tough. And so my role is to really validate the experience that they're having. Our bodies contain a lot of wisdom and tell us a lot. And Mm -hmm. there's a big difference between uncomfortable, frustrated, and I actually feel unsafe and I feel the need to extricate myself. If we can really dial into the feedback we're getting from our bodies and our physical reality, that can really help tune us into what's happening. Because discomfort and feeling unsafe are actually two different things, but they often get sidled up together so people don't have to deal with discomfort yeah, or get to minimize other people actually feeling unsafe. Mm -hmm. One other thing that you discussed in your second sermon that we're talking about today, belonging to each other, is universalism Mm -hmm. as a part of Unitarian Universalism. Right. The concept that no one is damned. Right. No one in the community can do something so wrong that it erases their humanity and their worth because that's intrinsic. Right. I'm curious about how we should apply that value and that concept in the face of quote unquote cancel culture, which... (laughs) Do you want to explain that for people who maybe don't know what that means? Yeah. So this is kind of a hot topic on social media. You know, (laughs) the concept of cancel culture is the court of public opinion deciding that a certain individual has done something unpardonable and, right. and then they're canc- quote unquote, canceling them, you know, right. outcasting them from society because of it. A lot of the discourse around it is very frustrating to me because it centers the comfort of perpetrators of 
I mean, in a lot of cases, crimes, right? <laughs> um, you know, and in a lot of cases, really horrible pain that they've inflicted, right. and it centers their comfort over the safety of the victims right. in a lot of the discourse. But I think there is, in a little, a little bit, it speaks to the size of community. You know, you say in right. this house we we belong to each other. Belong to each other. What if your house is all of Twitter? <laughs> you know, like it's it's hard. Right. That's a really big house. Yeah. So I'm curious about reconciling universalism with yeah. being in a world where not everyone has necessarily bought into the same covenant right. and built that trust up with you. Right. That's a really good question. Universalism is by no means an easy theology, which is why a lot of people don't like it. It's <laughs> easier to say that we're the righteous, we're the saved, and there are certain people who aren't. But as Unitarian Universalists, we expressly reject that. So nobody is ultimately damned. That doesn't, though, mean that there aren't boundaries and that there isn't accountability. So there can be this way of thinking that universalism is just really wishy-washy and like anything goes and you don't believe anything, which is not true. That's sort of the cheap version that doesn't mean anything and can be really harmful. But in her book that we talked about this month, Braving the Wilderness, Brene Brown makes a really important distinction about dehumanizing being the sort of necessary prerequisite to any kind of violence or genocide or any kind of widespread assault on humanity. And that we create that by creating moral exclusion by saying some people are outside of my sort of normal ethos and ethics for how humanity should be. If we get to remove people, then we don't have to treat them like they're human. That's an incredibly dangerous thing. And so universalism says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that anybody is ever past the point of humanity because mm -hmm. I'm not going to call them something other than human. And that doesn't mean that they're, they're certainly accountable for their actions. They don't necessarily get to stay in close relationship, right? Because saying that someone is still human does not mean that they get to still have all of the privileges they had before any kind of violence. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a really clear distinction. So it's not, universalism isn't like, I believe that everybody's playing nice and we should just include everyone. It's, I will never go so far as to say that someone else isn't human, no matter what they do, because of what that means about the way that I'm living and the values that I'm spreading in the world. And it is... It's that line before you get to moral exclusion where you, you're you never going to say because that person was evil, it's okay if we torture them, right? right? Because then you've become the evil too. You know, what you say about dehumanizing yeah. is really interesting in the context of celebrity cancel culture. Yeah. Because if you're canceling someone that you have never met, right, never spoken to, right, know them because of one aspect of their life that right. is very public, what you're canceling is a public caricature of a person, not yeah. a human. Right. And well, so because putting someone on a pedestal already is dehumanizing. Absolutely. Right. And so then that's sort of the side effect. You get to cancel them because they're not even human anyways, because they're just sort of like a Barbie trophy. Yeah. I mean, it's much easier to cancel someone right. who is already somewhat dehumanized by being either on a pedestal or right. public enemy number one, right. what have you. Right. So I think that might contribute to but why either it way, so quickly. But either way, we sort of have to question why we're willing to do that to another person. Yeah. That's about us. It's not about them. Yeah. Which is tough. That's a really tough... Covenant is hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, if we have a tagline, covenant is hard. Sounds yeah. like a pretty good one to me. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Of course. I'm glad to. And thank you to everyone for listening. Again, if you want to submit a question and have us discuss it, please feel free to email it to podcasts at uucsw.org, or you can drop it in the suggestion box of the sanctuary. And once again, we will not reveal the name or identifying information about anyone who submits a question. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk to you again next month when we discuss the concept of attention. Yes. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at uucsw.org or visit us in person. All are welcome.